0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the Roundup, follow-up thoughts on the arena economy and our hopes for the future of organized play. Then on the flashback, testing results with Jingataxius Transmogrify, Mardu Seance, and Mana Bloom Enchantress. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show!
1: To the Faithless Brewing podcast. I am David Robertson coming to you from the Twin Cities, and I am joined by the CEO, the lodestar of the Faithless Brewing Faithful. His name is Daniel Schriever. Dan, what is going on?
0: Doing well, David. Just enjoying this brand new, totally refreshed arena economy. (laughs) It's been a breath of fresh air. (laughs) You know, the purse strings, they loosened them and just made it rain. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for all the uh, Paul Krugman or uh, Glenn Lowry fans out there, we, uh, we had to learn some harsh um, messages about uh, supply and demand this week. <laughs> Speaking of which, before we get t- t- too deep into this dive, so we're going to have a look back at some of our transmogrify lists in Pioneer. We're going to have a look at some seance lists in Modern, and we're going to talk about the latest announcement uh, about the arena economy. But before we get into all that, we do need to do a little housekeeping at the top. And then it's just a reminder that if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join us at whatever level uh, you feel is uh, appropriate for you. And, uh, you know, jump on board the Discord. There's tons of discussions. There's tons of people tweaking decks. Lots of talk about spoilers. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, there'll be lots of discussion about upcoming paper events in the near future. Um, yeah. Or you can just, you know, explain to people that ideas are bad. That happens too. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) if anything we say, like really enrages you or we're so very, very wrong, the most direct line to yell at us is in the discord. You know, if you at me on Twitter, I may or may not see it, but I will for sure see it. If you call me out in front of (laughs) the community of brewers, (laughs) be like, this tech does not work the way you said it does. <laughs> Read the card. It's all explained there in the cards. Patreon.com slash faith is brewing. That's where you can find all of that. Best way to support the show. Best way to come join our wonderful brewing community. We got merchandise, we got tokens, stickers, playmats. You can find all that at the Patreon as well.
1: All right. So the big announcement this week was about the arena economy, and it was. I felt bad for the people that were forced to go out there. They had no good answers for why arena is predatory. They described the technology not existing. I mean, it it was a Putin esque, honestly, uh, communication. We're just like, (laughs) there's no, no one's dying. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This is like, I don't even know why we're having this uh, discussion. Honestly. Um, you know, arena is just a giant money suck by a company that really actively hates its customers. And the fact that they're describing you know, a Pioneer-like format coming to Arena when they already are struggling to support all their existing formats is really, really uh, negative development, I think.
0: I absolutely agree that that stream was tough to watch. I just couldn't believe, question after question, so Black Rasmussen, whose job is to be the, the PR guy who does the weekly MTG stream, interviewing Chris Kuritz. I believe he's like a lead on arena of some kind. Every single question he would ask one of the long-standing softball questions about like, hey, why why do you do it this way instead of this other way that would be better? And pause and then A deep sigh. Ah. <laughs> well and then, you know, followed by an explanation of some thoughts they had when they set the pricing.
1: I mean, and this wasn't exactly like Edward R. Murrow, right? Like grilling, you know, Joseph McCarthy or something. <laughs> they all these questions for sure, one hundred percent. If anyone's ever worked for a corporation, they have they had pre-done them all. I mean, this dude had seen the questions probably a week ahead of time. Like, all right, just so you know, first question is going to be this. Let's just rough in how long your answer is going to be. The fact that this is the product they put out was just so like dismissive, like. <laughs> It's like agreeing to go to, like, a marriage concert with your wife and you just, like, show up drunk. <laughs> just like, alright, I'm, I'm not taking this seriously. I don't think you're gonna divorce me. Like, alright, well, I guess you called call my bluff, like...
0: <laughs> oh, God. Is that where we're at now with our relationship to this game?
1: <laughs> yes. But they know, like, Magic's a great game. People love to play it. Arena has appealed to some people, maybe young people especially, maybe people that just like to, you know, play a quick best of one. It's quote-unquote free-to-play. And, uh, you know... Like, it's like the giving tree. They just keep taking stuff, right? They took the branches and the apples and everything, and <laughs> now Wizards is just, like, sitting on our stump or whatever, just like, man, it's been a <laughs> hell of a journey. <laughs> Remember when I had a canoe or whatever? I, I might need to go back and reread it, but...
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the gist of it, yeah. yeah.
1: shout out to Shell Silverstein.
0: I mean, all of these suggested improvements for Arena, they boil down to... It would be better for players if the game were cheaper somewhat, by a little bit. You'd be more accessible, we might play more. And when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, if you want the game to be cheaper somewhat, it sounds like you're saying, I will make less money, and we've determined we will not do that. And the only way they would change their mind is if you can somehow convince them that they will make more money in the long term. Whether by getting more engagement from players, broadening the player base, or longevity fewer people are quitting because the game is less predatory and that seems to be a tough sell when you know the directive has been to what was it like a tripling their profits in three years something like that which they did or they had a five-year target for it and they did it in three years which is insane
1: yeah, and you know, I think I I won't think of the person who tweeted this out, but they were like watching Larry David shill for Bitcoin on uh, one of the Super Bowl ads is an answer to the question Can you ever have enough money? <laughs> like the co-inventor of Seinfeld at seventy five or however old he is, for no reason at all is out shilling for Bitcoin in a commercial. They're just they're just always going to take your money. Uh, to to quote uh, the wire, they will take any motherfucker's money if he's just giving it away. Like they don't care. <laughs> Yeah. So, the, the, but the problem is, if you love this game, it's just really unfortunate. If it, and you play Arena, I, I really strongly encourage people to play Magic Online, um, and to play Pioneer or Modern or whatever Limited. But if you love playing Magic and you love playing Arena, there's just nothing you can do. They're they're literally like goodfellas. Like, fuck you, pay me, and that's it. Do you want to play this game that you love? Because if you do, I'm telling you right now, if you want to play Constructed, we're just going to keep squeezing you that that was a message like
0: so this stream like really it didn't have anything to announce they shouldn't have they shouldn't have done a stream about it they should have just quietly pushed out it's like a, there's a new wildcard bundle you can buy not at a discount it's actually at a slight markup but, <laughs> but that's okay i mean well, you'll you know. save
1: money in uh, volume so don't worry about that <laughs>
0: They'll probably have like sales on the bundle at some point, so you feel like you should buy it now or something. Who knows? The part that is maybe more relevant to us is part of the reason why we've been a Magic Online boomer podcast is that the formats we like are on Magic Online and paper, and they are not arena formats. One thing they did say on this stream was that they they hear that, that people want a true-to-tabletop non-rotating format, which... Historic could have been, but then to edit all this digital only stuff and rebalance stuff, alchemy stuff to it. So historic is no longer that format. They have said they will make something, pioneer light essentially, that is true to tabletop, that is non-rotating. It's not going to be exactly pioneer because they're missing still a few years worth of sets, but you know, in theory they could expand it, adding sets over time to get something like Pioneer. Does that mean we just switch to Arena? Well, I guess that all, that all depends. I mean, the answer is probably no. The economy is still not set up for our style of playing, which is to brew decks, try cards that are unproven, maybe that are a little bit weak. I mean, the economy is so unfriendly to that that it, it just seems unthinkable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just as old man, don't like how arena looks or how it interacts, et cetera, et cetera. I, I like that a game is closer to paper play, like the actual interaction. Um, I know that that's an old person thing to say, so I I don't begrudge anyone liking or disagreeing with me there. But liking a company that just steals from you is very strange to me. Like, I, I don't get that. I, I mean, like, licking boots is something you can do on your own time. I don't know why you have to do it as part of your hobby. Um, but, yeah, it's just like... Cre- creating Pioneer Light is just such a terrible idea. They they already don't support their existing formats. They've absolutely destroyed any incentive people had to play Standard. They created this alchemy, and then alchemy effed up Historic. Like It's just a, a cascading series of terrible decisions.
0: So one thing that could potentially change my mind has to do with the other big announcement, which has not happened yet. You know, If this episode comes out on Sunday, we'll be still a few days away from... The promised organized play announcement. We don't know what this is gonna be. In fact, all they've said is that there's gonna be some kind of announcement about it. They did hire William Huey Jensen a couple months back to be, you know, a new director of play programs. And I think people want to hear in that phrase, they want to hear organized play, and they want to think, you know, a return to the glory days of the Pro Tour and Grand Prix and all that. That's probably not what William Jensen's job is. It's probably more like making sure that stores have good promos for their store championships, that kind of thing, but we're hoping for something some kind of path forward for like at least the upcoming year uh when the next set championships is over. We don't know what's coming next, and they're hopefully gonna tell us in this announcement,
1: yeah, and if I can make a uh a suggestion, maybe they could uh rehearse some of these questions uh with Huey before he does any streaming or makes any announcements. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just run through what the uh, corporation is that uh, the answers can be to the like 12 most obvious questions that uh, people will ask on Twitter.
0: Can we get the pro tour back? Uh,
1: well, and you know, the thing <laughs> is you are you think you're being like canny or whatever, but the thing is people just want honesty. If you're not bringing the Pro Tour back, that's probably fine as long as you tell them what they are getting. Like, okay, there is no Pro Tour, but there's going to be all these GPs and we're increasing the prize payout for the, or whatever it is. I have no idea. I have no information, but just tell people what they're getting and what, and then you can be honest about what they're not getting and you can choose to emphasize the positives or whatever, right? You can be a glass half full announcement, even if people might be disappointed that they're not going to get X and Y, but you can really emphasize that they're getting Z. But you have to be clear. (laughs) And we all know what all the questions are going to be. We all know what the first 10 questions are going to be. Um, And maybe it should be a (laughs) non-employed person at Watsi asking the questions. Like maybe Cedric Phillips or someone like that who has worked with the company, right, is not antagonistic to Watsi, can maybe put forward 10 or 12 questions he has and, and they can, you know, they can do some vetting. I'm not saying they can't do that. And then let, you know, let... Uh, and Huey and Cedric get along and then just let them have a normal conversation.
0: So that's probably not what's gonna happen. <laughs> but oh yeah, of course. Not. Nice it's idea. like oh, we've got a
1: corporate stooge in a five thousand dollar suit, and he's gonna be like, what the hell's a pro tour? <laughs> I don't understand these Twitch questions that keep rolling in. <laughs> do
0: you have any predictions? Anything you want to see, or what do you think is most likely to happen in this organized play announcement?
1: I think a full return to paper is in the offing. I don't know if people are tracking COVID, but we are below. We have the lowest ICU rate occupancy since the beginning of COVID, since March of 2020, and it's dropping precipitously. So I think de facto corporations, at least, I'm not. I'm not passing a value judgment on BA two variant or long COVID or anything like that. Don't don't be an idiot. And message about this corporations have decided, for better or for worse, that basically COVID is over, and it's time for them to start monetizing the in-play experience. So I'm expecting an extensive announcement as to what in-play events there are, but I don't think a Pro Tour that rewards people that you know finish well at Grand Prix or Pro Tours and, and can make a living off of it, that's not going to ever happen again, I don't believe.
0: I feel like they're going to say something like organized play... Aspires to be a global game, and because the uneven, unevenness of the pandemic across the globe in different regions and different countries makes it impossible to have anything that's international that's part of a system, at least for another year. That would be my guess. Now, I, I could be wrong. They could be like, well, if you want to participate, you know, just figure it out with your covert restrictions in your country because they are, you know, they are lifting or lightening for the time being. But I would be surprised if there was any kind of paper worldwide system. They might be some kind of like regional events. And I think what's very likely is that they'll announce you know partnerships with local organizers like the Nerd Rage Games NRG series or the SCG cons, where you know these organizers are throwing events anyway, and wizards will say, okay, we'll we'll allow your events to qualify for something and i believe that something will still happen on arena just because you know even those those have not been successful they're easier to do
1: so so to kind of piggyback on your point dan i think the paper announcement is only going to involve the united states okay i think they're all in on the u.s as a, as a major source of money and then they can always say they're an international game by pointing to you know whatever the fifth i'm just making this up let's say they have four pro tours they'd have a fifth pro tour on arena and then maybe worlds on arena Um, And so they say, well, that's a chance for the international people to compete, right? They don't even have to leave uh, Belgium or Australia or whatever. But I think there's going to be Mm -hmm. an extensive paper in-person announcements to the American situation.
0: Do you think it will actually be like pro-tour-like events, or do you think it'll just be like gps and conventions
1: i think that'll be G- the thing that people didn't realize is gps the all the profit actually went to the organizer they i mean the, the prices were locked in so it's like when you looked at the attendance of some of those gps and then the price things were locked the the actual organizers made tons and tons of money so it's very easy to just put those in place as long as you feel that they're safe etc 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 um
0: yeah, those companies, like, bid for the right to host them.
1: Yeah, and convention centers have been empty. I mean, you can get, like, bottom basement rates just to get people in. City centers have been evacuated. I don't want to get a whole thing about remote work and how that's going to harm Midwestern cities, but they're desperate to get people in. Hotels are empty. I mean, there's just a lot of incentive uh, to construct the, those types of events, and they're very cheap to hold right now because hotels are cheap. Renting out, you know, <laughs> the back area of some convention centers is very cheap. Um and there's just a lot of money to be made, and it's a lot of money that doesn't necessarily go to Watsy, but it engenders a bunch of goodwill, and then they don't lose any money because they can always just charge the organizer everything that they're paying out and, and then it's square.
0: So part of what made those events feel exciting to me, or at least a little more attractive, back when there was still like a, a pro players club, was that when you attended any kind of event, whether that's your FM or you know, I live on the East Coast of the United States, so the Star City games would have invitational qualifiers, IQs as they called them. They were like little 1Ks. Or if you went to a Grand Prix, every time you played, you would get these points, Planeswalker points. They're not worth anything until suddenly they are, right? You, you can see your little progress bar, and as you accumulate these points, you get closer and closer to one by your next Grand Prix. And then if you get to the next threshold, you get two buys at your next Grand Prix. Is that a good system? Well, like from the perspective of fairness, it's it's not that fair for the people competing at Grand Prix to be competing against people who just start with one, two, or three wins. But that incentive structure for me went a long way towards taping me towards like wanting to go to these events. because so I'm like, oh, I, I'm close to earning a buy or I've earned a buy last season. I should go and make use of that and like go to the next thing even though like I never participated at the level where I was like in danger of qualifying for anything, it was still nice to feel like wherever I was, I was progressing towards something and I knew like what the next thing ahead of me was that I was working towards. I feel like they should try to implement something like that. It doesn't have to be like pro tour invites, although it could be, it could be fractional invites or whatever they were toying with before COVID, before the MPL, I should say.
1: Yeah, I think you're onto something. I mean, and that's why you have like whatever the like Subway Punch Card or whatever. You know, like exactly anything that that rewards you. Like you're you're a good customer, right? The sixth Chipotle burrito's free or whatever the hell it is. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's right, Dan. It's it's really easy to do it, especially if if your rewards are all internal, right? Providing you buys to a, another tournament costs Watsy zero dollars. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's the kind of thing that they they could very easily do. That does not mean they will necessarily do it, but I think that's the kind of thing that someone like Huey Jensen, who's got a real good head on his shoulders, who really understands uh, player incentive structures, because he himself, you know, at one point was a a very young man coming up, uh, you know, just dominating limited Grand Prix, trying to make the Pro Tour. Um, That's the kind of thing you hope they can't miss on when you have someone, you know, as bright as Huey, uh, hopefully giving them some uh, good advice.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. So my prediction, just for the record, is Pro Tours or set championships, whatever they're called, are still going to happen on Arena regionally or in the United States. some kind of tie-ins to Grand Prix or convention-like events, and I hope that there will be some kind of little rewards structure that makes it feel like a circuit. Not, not the kind of circuit where you have to fly to every event, but... You know the the kind of thing where you're punching that ticket towards your next footlong sub, or whatever it is. And I'd love to see more stuff at the store level too. You know, the initial rollout of store championships was a step in the right direction, but it was like a little bit limited. They, you know, they only gave the premier stores the stamped version of the quail engine. Um, I'd love to see that happen more often. Give the stores even more incentive to like have. Little mini-circuits. You know, a store could have an invitational series where you accumulate points for playing at the store every week. A store that I used to play at in Connecticut used to do that, and it was great. So there's all kinds of ways that, you know, wizards can step in and just give a little bit of a boost, right? You know, throw a little bit of merch. It doesn't cost much to print these promos or throw a playmat at some stores. Give an invite to an arena pro tour.
1: Yeah, and I guess we'll find out one way or the other. You know, we'll keep our fingers crossed. We'll hope for the best and, uh, you know, steal ourselves for the worst.
0: (laughs) All right, enough news. Uh, Shall we talk about some decks?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So last week, we talked about two different cards. In Modern, we talked about Seance, and that was a fun little story behind that, the history of Seance Guy. In Pioneer... We were interested in exploring some of the new tools built around cheating creatures into play. Transmogrify being the best card to do that, but some of the tools that would get you there would be new cards like Jingataxius or Careful Cultivation. So David, you brewed up some lists and you had a chance to put them through their paces.
1: Yeah, so the first list I wanted to play was uh, a Teamer Transmogrify list. You had identified Careful Cultivation as a card that maybe changes the uh, equation a little bit here. So just, it has other text, but the main thing it has is one green discard. You make a 1-1 mana elf. Uh, I don't know if it's an elf, but it's a 1-1 creature that taps for a green. It's uncounterable, and it can be done as all channel abilities at instant speed. So the, the nut draw that we were both envisioning was... Your opponent, you know, taps out to play something on turn two, that's fine. We, at the end of their turn, discard careful cultivation, make a 1-1, play our third land, cast transmogrify, you know, tapping the token for mana and then targeting with transmogrify, and then we get to put a boom boom into play on turn three at instant speed uh, to make our token. So, no other card let you do that. It made a token while ramping. Seemed very interesting. So I built a list that was trying to sort of also try out Jingataxis Taxis as the top end. So uh, we had two Jenga Taxis as the top. I really like the idea of Asika's Chariot. A, it's another 4-drop we, can, in theory, could play on turn 3 if we flash in our careful cultivation. Um, it's an artifact, so it double triggers if you have Jingataxis. Taxis. So you can just win a fair game very easily with, you know, 16 power or whatever added. Um, and we're going to play 4 Shark Typhoon anyway. Uh, so a as Cherry could maybe even copy a larger creature. And then I'm just playing other stuff. Grow Spirals, uh, Expressive Iteration, uh, Opt. I wanted to play a reasonable number of like value instants. So once Jenga Taxus is in play, we just you know draw all the cards and kill all their creatures or whatever. Um, the League did not go very well. I went 1-4. Uh, I lost to Blue-White. I lost to Mono-Green that was not playing Storm the Festival, unfortunately. So Jenga Taxus was not awesome against them. Beat uh, Abzan, Greasefang, because that's that's a win. Uh, Lost a really close win to Winota, and then lost to uh, Five-Color Enigmatic Incarnation. I guess the main problem was that Careful Cultivation, if it doesn't transmogrify, doesn't do anything. Your deck just has a ton of mana sources, so I was playing 24 lands with 3 MDFCs and 4 Careful Cultivations. So eventually you just kind of flood out You're having to play a lot of uh, maybe mediocre spells, so it was was kind of hard to beat aggro. And then you didn't really have room for a lot of counterspells, so it was hard to beat uh, a deck like Enigmatic Incarnation. Um, It did feel like you were really having to contort the list quite a bit, like careful cultivation is just not very playable.
0: Is it possible that that's just a question of tweaking numbers instead of 24 lands and 3 MDFCs? You know, just 24 lands and some considers, for example.
1: Well, you don't want to play consider in your transmogrify list because graveyarding uh, jinka taxes is bad. But you can play other cards for sure, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think to tweak this out, you want to either decide you're in on Careful Cultivation and then abandon Growth Spiral as your second ramp spell. Just Careful Cultivation will be your only ramp spell. And then you can build your list uh, to be a lot more stable. I think I think that's that's where it kind of went astray like having to play a bunch of extra land sources for growth spiral to be your you know alleged second way to kind of get to four mana um, I, I think was wrong.
0: So you're finding that the turn three transmogrify just wasn't coming up that often so why contort your deck around trying to make that exact thing happen when what you need to do is just get to transmogrify and whether that happens on turn three four or five or six or whatever is not so important.
1: Yeah, and the and the, the thing is like it's actually much easier to disrupt this than you'd think, right? So you your opponent does not have to play counter spells, although they can just leave up sensor, right? So then you just can't actually go for it. Or you can, but you're probably gonna lose. Fatal push is the most played card in the format by far right now. All the decks that are playing Fatal Push are now back to main decking for Thoughtsee, so they can disrupt your combo. And then White now gets to play March, which is just a one white instant kill any token that you target. So the, even the control decks have really efficient removal against you. And then, of course, Phoenix is the other deck, and they get to spend one red mana to kill any token that you're making. So even if you, in theory, could go for it, your opponent has to like not know what you're doing, not have cast Thoughtseize, not leave up Counterspell, and then they have to basically have, t- have to have tapped out. Otherwise, you're likely to two for one yourself. Huh. So even when I had it in my opening hand, which was not common, so I think I had a little bit of bad luck there, I really could not go for it uh, if they had mana up, because so many decks just have one-mana ways of interacting. Um, or they'd sometimes just kill my Careful Cultivation at the end of turn, so now Transmogrify doesn't do anything. Uh, so yeah, removal's just really good. It's it's way better now. Um, uh, the one time I uh, turned three Jinkataxas, I did so against Winota and won easily. But had they just drawn their 2-2 like, that exiles Jinkataxas, I would have probably lost that game too. <laughs>
0: Do you think it would help to switch from Transmogrify to Indomitable Creativity? That's one way to get around the fatal push, march of otherworldly light problem. Just cast it for X equals two. Unless they have two removal spells open, you're still going to get something. Now, there's trade-offs here. Indomitable Creativity, you gotta totally rebuild the mana base. You can't play a Seeker's Chariot anymore because that's an artifact. But, I mean, there's other tools that we're not using, right? We, we're not using Dwarven Mine yet. We're not using Sakenzin That makes two tokens. We could play that as well.
1: I think you could do that, but then you probably should not play Jenga Taxis. Uh One of the appeals of Jenga Taxis is you really want to dominate the board, and I think being able to cast Chariot and make a bunch of bodies was, was awesome when I got to do it. Um, and then Chariot is your backup two-drop. The other thing is to have enough mountains and, and be able to consistently careful cultivation on two is actually very difficult. Uh, if you want to use Drawer in Mine. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's possible. Yeah, I'm imagining that you would have four Triumphs, four Fable Passage, eight Shocklands. I mean, this is how the historic decks used to do it. And some number of mountains and, like, one forest or island or something like that. 24 lands, 25 lands. It gets more painful and it's a little bit awkward, but. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the real lesson is that, you know, the uh, like Jeskai lists, as, as we talked about in our last podcast, that are transmogrifying are really like control lists, right? That happen to have this transmogrify package in it. Part of that is the fact that your Ryan lets you make the transmogrify package, you know, whatever, 30% less of your actual deck. And so they, they like for instance, aren't playing fire prophecy because they don't they're not that worried about drawing you know one or both of their Jenga taxis uh, or whatever they're, they're if they're they're playing agent of treachery. so yeah, I think just the control shell that just can transmogrify is better unless you can find a way to uh make your deck reasonable if you don't transmogrify. and the theory was you know careful cultivation into chariot turn 3 is actually seems pretty good, but um I just didn't really get it to happen very much. Hmm. And then, you know, like, Fire Prophecy isn't really, like, a pioneer playable card. It's not terrible, but it's, like, you know, very mediocre with Jynka Uh you, you have to play some number of cards to put that on the bottom. So you don't get to play any counter spells at all, main deck. Um, so, yeah, it's, you are having to do a lot of contortion to kind of play this configuration. And the payoff wasn't happening enough for it to feel, you know, like it was the right deal. I mean, when I got Jinktaxas in play, I did win, though. Like, it's very difficult for Red-Black or, or Control to fight you, but you have to get Jinktaxas in play. I mean, it involves playing a creature that dies to any removal spell that Red-Black or, or White-Blue is playing, and then you have to cast a 4-mana sorcery that has to resolve and not get Thought Seized. You're kind of asking for a lot, actually.
0: Hmm. So, the other card I was going to ask you about is incorporating Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and maybe switching back to Agent of Treachery. And that package is already in the other deck that you played, so maybe we can pivot to that now. Yeah. Which is your Grixis list.
1: Yeah, so I had played a test league with it, I had gone 2-3, I had made some updates, going to the full Thoughtseize, tweaking some uh, mana, adding Shark Typhoons. The list felt very good, but, you know, continued to have very mediocre results. I went 3-2 two, and 2-3. Two, I basically just lost to decks a lot. Um... And again, you see the advantages of the, like, Jeskai list. They're basically just a control deck. They are probably much better against aggro decks because they're playing, like, multiple Angers main, multiple um, Supreme Verdicts main. And so the Blood for Bones shell was the weaker part because we only had four agents in the list. It was actually rare for Blood for Bones to have a target. It was nice to have some because it it protects you from removal, right? They can't Blood for Bones, like a creature that excuse me, they can't kill a creature uh, in response to Blood for Bones. Blood for Bones sacrifices is part of the cost. Um, So yeah, I I had mediocre results, lost aggro a bunch. I have a proposed update where, again, I'm I'm really leaning into Fable letting me polarize my deck. So a bunch of one-mana spells, a bunch of uh, sweepers now main, less Blood for Bones, and then just hopefully letting the uh, Modern Age and Fable kind of... Help me select for the cards that are useful in a, in a specific matchup.
0: So, is it fair to say there's just like a fundamental tension between any kind of Reanimator or Transmogrify hybrid deck? Like, I, I think it's very clever the way that you've identified tools that support both plans. We're talking about the modern age, Kato Shizuki, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. All three of these cards are fine on their own they are discard outlets for the reanimation strategy. They are creatures that you can target for the transmogrify polymorph strategy. And they're also creatures for the blood for bones part of the reanimation strategy. So it's all like, it's all there. It all makes sense. But then when you put it all together, it's like, am I gaining that much by incorporating both plans? I think the transmogrify plan is well supported, but as you're pointing out, the reanimator plan requires you to draw one of your payoffs, which you kinda of don't want to do, and it's not like that likely to happen.
1: Yeah, so that's why we're down to only two Blood for Bones, uh, in the whole seventy five in the proposed update. And um yeah, that's that's literally for all the reasons you described, the the looting effect wasn't happening. Now again, you never got stuck with Blood for Bones because you have ten, you know, loot effects in your list. So whether it's Fable or or Kaito or whatever, you just, you know, chuck it in the bin. Um but it's still cards that could be something else, right? Not being not being able to play a sweeper main meant we were heavily disadvantaged against aggro in game one. Not being able to go up to the full four sweepers because we didn't have enough space. Uh, I added a bunch of life gain spells to the sideboard. Yeah, I'll probably take this out one more time because the list is actually super sweet. It feels really good. Uh, it does a bunch of interesting things. Copying agent of treachery, if they don't you know interact with you with your fable, is is of course game winning. So that's always nice.
0: Do you find that Modern Age gives you enough board presence? Like, At what point do you feel like you've got your two mana worth out of the card?
1: Well, it's funny. I was chatting with Red about it, and he was just like, man, I feel like we just have to keep every hand with two lands that lets us cast Modern Age on turn two. Um, if you cast Modern Age on turn two, it's great. I think one of the problems this deck has compared to like the red-black like Jund list in Pioneer is that Fable is just a super slow, clunky card, and in that list, all the cards you loot away end up just looting to removal spells uh, or, or hand disruption spells. Uh, you know, we're trying to do something proactive. Fable is not good in a deck that's trying to be proactive. It's good in a deck that's just full of reactive spells, so a deck that's trying to not die. So I think that's where Modern Age and Fable get a little clunky, is they help you find the right cards, but you, you're you a deck that isn't just trying to stop the other player. You're trying to do something. Um, and, that, and that's where they aren't quite as good.
0: Okay, so... You're three leagues in with this Grixis Transmogrify Blood from Bones package. Will the fourth league be the charm, or will it be <laughs> the death knell?
1: Yeah, I got to play against a uh, First Turn Negator from our Discord. Uh, they were playing uh, my Celti Reanimator list, so that was kind of fun. We were modern aging against each other.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, the Faith is brewing meta is a strange place. I am afraid to ask what, what bracket you were in at this point in the league. Uh
1: they were 3-1 and I was uh, 2-1, so the winner's bracket. Okay. I would have actually 4-1 this league. There's some kind of glitch where you can't see which card Dauntless Bodyguard is protecting. Um and so my sideboard plan involved uh changing the list into a um where my targets were the uh, black gear hulk. Hmm. And so I ended up targeting their tapped creature. I figured they would protect their untapped creature. And uh, then they... So I didn't get to... A, I didn't get to kill their creature. And B, it d- doesn't actually gain life unless it kills them. But in general, I actually found the Gearhulk Cyborg plan to be bad. So I'm abandoning it as well with the with the proposed update. So it's, it's actually a, kind of a significant shift. to try to sort of hard the deck against aggro. But yeah, so really that first list, first uh, league was a 4-1. Uh, I mean, except for some glitch on Magic Online. Or if someone knows, if, I, if, if I'm somehow missing it. But I looked at the creatures over and over again and because there were two creatures with the same name. Hmm. And I could not see which one Dauntless Bodyguard was protecting. Unless it just is allowed to protect any card with the same name, but from reading the card, that did not seem to be correct.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a display error issue.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a, a 4-1 League is, is great, you know, if, which is what it really was. But the second League kind of showed the weaknesses. And again, I just... Kept losing to aggro losing to Winota, losing to mono-red. Um, so you, you have to sort of acknowledge, all right, th- these matchups are bad for this deck. And again, the reason they're bad is because we just don't have a lot of proactive ways to stop them. Uh, because, yeah, Modern Age and, and Fable are a little clunky against them in, in a deck that isn't all just removal, which is all like red-black is. We're, we're trying to like do something cool, <laughs> and that's a mistake <laughs> against aggro-decks. You just want to not die. Um... So yeah, we we have to make some adjustments, and we'll we'll see if the if that makes a difference.
0: All right. So shifting gears, talking a little bit about modern. We had an oldie but goodie, a blast from the past, in Seance. to white white enchantment at the beginning of each upkeep. You may exile target creature card from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that card, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. At the beginning of the end step, you exile that card. Damon and Emmy did a wonderful job just <laughs> diving into some of the rich history of Seance. And you heard Emmy talk last week about uh, some initial explorations he did. I think he already played like three, three or four leagues with an Abzan variant and a four-color blink variant, and one that was incorporating... Archon kind of Cruelty and Wandering Mind and all this. I want to try it myself. And the one package that he had not tried yet was using some of the red cards. We do have to get cards in the graveyard to fuel Seance. Um the elementals like Solitude can put themselves in the graveyard, but it would be nice to have, you know, a robust and plush graveyard so that as soon as Seance lands. You can immediately get a creature on their upkeep, and then on your upkeep, and then on their upkeep, and just like get a lot of value out of the card. So, Season Pyromancer was the big draw from Red. Of course, Fury is part of that equation as well. And Fulminator Mage, which you can play in a black deck or in a red deck. Another nice one, because it self-sacrifices to put itself in the graveyard for Seance. So... You can kind of see this deck taking shape already. Solitudes, Furies, Seasoned Pyromancers, Fulminator Mages. I also played a Ranger Captain of Eos. That's another one that has a self-sacrifice ability. And then you just surround that with the playable cards in Modern. Ragavan, Esper Sentinel, Prismatic Ending, Ephemerate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Found room for two copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker, our card that we talked about on Friday. I wanted to get a little bit of testing in to see how that played here in Modern. And four copies of Seance. Now, if you count all that up, you'll see that I've gone up to 80 cards. Because uh, at a certain point, you know, when you're trying to like cut cards here and there to like get it down to 60, I mean, these cards are all interchangeable. There's not really any one that's better than the others. So you might as well just go up to 80 and play Uran. So that's what I did. And the deck is like a bit of a slog, I have to say. It's not super enjoyable. <laughs> I'm 2-2 two and two right now, and every match has just been like a 40-minute affair.
1: I see you've lost every game one. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Yeah. I've played against Yogmoth, Is It Murktide, Classic Blue Moon, and Amulet Titan so far. Every match has gone the full distance. I mean, I'm playing a Boros deck that's 80 cards, and I don't have a ton of selection. I have four Season Pyromancer and two Fable of the Mirror Breaker for card draw, so I'm kind of just at the mercy of what comes at the top of my deck. I'm not playing tools like Commune with the Gods like we talked about last week, or even Setter Wayfinder.
1: I really like the look of Ranger Captain in this list. Is that weird? I like that the turn you cast Seance, Ranger Captain can actually protect it, and then it is every upkeep, right? So in their upkeep, against any like combo deck, you can get Ranger back that turn and then sack it in their upkeep, and then get a 1-1 to your hand, which is probably always going to be Ragavan.
0: Yeah, I like the theory. I mean, in practice, these synergies have not really come up, and that's partly a function of just being 80 cards. And also, like, Modern's in a pretty grindy place sometimes, so like, yeah. against these it decks... There were no synergies to be had. It was just like trying to outlast them, trying to stick the last threat. I did try to keep track of like what Seance was doing, and I mean, the screenshots do not tell a very happy tale. Like, I got <laughs> hit with the Game 1 Endurance in response to my Seance and just completely wrecked me, and then in the, same, the same opponent got me with Scavenging Ooze in Game 3 to turn off Seance that way. Both of these blue decks... You know, I'm not expecting a Seance to ever resolve through a counterspell, but it's still just like a massive, massive tempo loss when you're spending four mana on this enchantment and they just, you know, tap two or three and counterspell it or archer just charm it or something. And you just have to do it. I mean, you have to walk into it. There's no way around it. Um, so that happened a bunch of times. <laughs> I have a picture here of Ash Yak Dream Render coming down and nuking my graveyard right before Seance <laughs> comes down. <laughs> So, it was actually a lot harder than I expected to get Seance to do its thing. That's kind of the thing that surprised me the most. I don't know if that's just the matchups or variants or what, but um it's been a lot trickier than I would expect to get this namesake card to seize the moment.
1: yeah, it's always tough. You know, of course, your irons very powerful. you're not doing anything wrong, putting your iron in your deck and your your uh, logic, you know, like you say, you're playing replaceable cards, your irons super powerful. at the same time, for the purposes of our testing, right, adding your iron always feels like a little bit of a cheat. It, it causes these interactions to happen a little less frequently than we'd like uh, over the course of all league. You know, you have to play many, many leagues to find out exactly uh, which cards are good or bad. But yeah, I think you've correctly identified, like, the hate is really good. <laughs> Counter spells are better than they ever have been, right? Counter spells is just an awesome card. Graveyard hate is all over the place uh you've you're showing yourself getting blown out by multiple types of graveyard hates and you're <laughs> even ruining your inclusion of relic and presented this as your yes, graveyard hate
0: that was a mistake just like straight up cost me a game because i had to pop the relic and i lost a bunch of creatures and then later when i finally do the seance i didn't have the graveyard available
1: yeah Shoutouts to durgar Hedge Mage. that is a casual fucking hit love that
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the theory was all there. You can ephemerate it, you can seance it back.
1: Solitude and Fury both we'll see it.
0: But yeah, this deck is not sparking joy right now. Maybe if I play it more and tune it and maybe play a 60 card version that does this thing more often, I'll have more to report. But I think so far, I'm liking the green versions better. It sounded like Annie was having just a better time of it with mana accelerators and cards like Commune with the Gods that actually dig deep. Or wandering mind, like maybe I just need to like dream a little bit bigger and actually go searching for powerful stuff instead of just hoping that it happens to me eventually.
1: What do you think about like a package of Ranger Captain of Eos with the uh, one red mana one one that sacrifices itself to rummage?
0: Insolent innate.
1: Yeah. Then Seance could almost be like a reanimator type of package.
0: Yeah. I'd have to see, like, the rest of the list.
1: I'm thinking more of, like, Jeskai Color, so I like a lot of your red cards here, and then maybe for blue you just have, like, Muldrifter and Wandering Mind.
0: Yeah, I, I think that Emmy played something like that, although he did not go so far as to play the Neonades. I'll ask him about it next week. Hopefully when he rejoins us he'll have a little more insights as to, like, what he's learned so far from Seance, and, you know, who knows, maybe by next week we'll we'll have a better result. But for the time being... You know, we're stuck in the 2, two, three, two, two three bracket with this card.
1: <laughs> right. And that, you know, based on history, that's kind of what we would expect, I guess I would say. It's a powerful card when it resolves some of the time, but, you know, it is a 4-mana <laughs> sorcery with no come to play ability. Um, that's a big ask in modern these days.
0: Indeed. All right. I do want to close out on, like, a slightly more optimistic note, so I'll tell you about this other deck that I played. This is in Pioneer. Going back two weeks, we talked about Commune with Spirits, the super ponder for enchantments. It's a green mana sorcery, looks at your top four cards, lets you grab an enchantment or a land. And we tried it a bunch of different stuff. We tried dedicated enchanter's decks. David, you had some pretty sweet engine-style decks where you had like a single card, like Fires of Invention, or even In Search of Greatness, <laughs> um, that we wanted to find with Commune. But the list that seemed the most promising, like just solid all around and getting meaningfully boosted by a Commune, was the green-white Pioneer Enchanter deck built around Mana Bloom. I had already tried one league with it last week. Uh, you heard a little bit about that in last Sunday's show, where I started off 3-0, and you know, I was feeling great. I felt like I was going to 5-0 the league, and then ran into some tough matchups the last two and ended up 3-2ing. I felt like the deck is better than that, you know? I felt like I'm pretty sure if I just play it again, I'm going to 5-0. So I fired it up again. I changed, like, two cards. I, I took one of the Halloween Hauntings out of the main deck and put it in the sideboard in order to put an extra baffling end into the main deck. But we're basically looking at Satessan Champion and Eidolon Blossoms as your draw engines. you got a bunch of mana. You have Wolf Low Haven, Jukai Naturalist, and four Lanor Elves as your acceleration. You have Oath of Nyssa and Commune with Spirits to dig for your pieces. Conclave Tribunal is the card that really sets this deck apart that you wouldn't expect to see necessarily in an Enchantress deck, but it allows you to just have really explosive turns. You're playing out all this stuff, drawing a bunch of cards, and then when it looks like you're tapped out, you're actually not tapped out because you just convoke the Conclave Tribunal into play, take out whatever is bothering you, and you're just off to the races. And the biggest biggest upgrade has been Hallowed Haunting, which, David, uh, you urged me to try, and I'm so glad you did, because that card has been just stone-cold nuts.
1: Yeah, you had really highlighted how, you know, you used to really have to calculate in your mind, like, how much do I want to commit to the board, uh, because that card used to be a Monastery Mentor, right? So how much pressure do I want to put on decks with sweeper effects, or how much to hold back? But because Hallowed Haunting itself dodges the sweeper, uh, except for the new uh, six mana card, that can destroy it. Um, you can just play out your cards, and if they blow it up, you just play more enchantments to draw cards, and then they make more creatures again.
0: And the creatures are huge. I mean, the creatures that Hallowed Haunting makes just get so big. And I've had multiple matchups where, you know, my opponent is doing something like they're they're playing Naya Winota. That was my first match in the second league, and they got to do their thing, but like they didn't kill me, and I just went bigger with Hallowed Haunting. And at a certain point they they just couldn't attack. They got like six Winota triggers and they still couldn't get through. So yeah, I fired this up again and just ran roughshod over people. I just crushed my opponents. I was 4-0, I was feeling good going into the fifth round. Got paired against a Dimir Ninjas deck. And you know, we were we were battling, and then it seemed like I'd turned the corner and like taken control with some enchantresses. Then I looked at my library and I'm like, actually there's not very many cards left in this library. Because <laughs> they mailed me so many times with Thieves Guild Enforcer and Soaring Thought Thief that by the time I killed all their stuff, I would actually get a deck out before I could deal 20 damage to them. So that's actually how I ended up going down, and the Demir deck was able to defeat me and I ended up finishing a four one. But you know, that's a way to go. Like I don't I don't mind that so much. It was a cool deck. And a fun matchup to play,
1: yeah. And I mean, your four wins were against you know basically uh, who's who in the format, right? Winota is is a t- a tier one deck. The Transmogrify Fires deck is putting up results. I don't think it's quite at that level. And then Rakos, Rakdos Rakdos mid range in various uh, templating formats. We talked a lot about a lot of them incorporating um, the Fable of Kiki Jiki on our last podcast. Um you know that's everywhere too so if you're if you're beating up on decks like that that's a really good sign that this is something to continue exploring
0: yeah all four of those opponents were playing fable of the mirror breaker and i don't know what it says that i four-owed them <laughs> maybe maybe the song <laughs> is not so good well but.
1: i mean the thing is you're playing a full-on like a bunch of two-for-ones and it's really hard for red black to just beat a deck that two-for-ones like twice you know, they're they're trying to make it a little resource game, and then you're like Idolina Blossoms with a Cetestan Champion play? Like, what the hell? <laughs> they can't ever reset it. Like, they've just lost that game.
0: I added some Shaper Sanctuaries to the sideboard. Yeah, that that's a good call. Um a suggestion from Lurking Evil in our Discord. And uh, those those are pretty good. So yeah, I feel like, you know, even though I I've only played two leagues with this configuration, I I feel it's extremely powerful. I feel like a 5-0 was coming and and if I can just like tune it a little more, the the mana base feels good. I just gotta like figure out the last sideboard slots.
1: Yeah, I mean, did you ever put in weathered Runestone? stone?
0: Yeah, I brought it in against Winota.
1: Yeah, I, I guess it's it's like a a more expensive cage. It's probably fine.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know how important it is, but yeah. So. Mana Bloom. I mean, this is this is the card, you know. Yeah. Mana Bloom just sees you through. It just triggers everything every turn, and it's it's extremely good.
1: Yeah, and and with Naturalist, it's just just a crazy like value engine that doesn't cost any mana.
0: Yeah. So I do recommend this list heartily. Maybe Damon was not so thrilled with it when he talked about it last week, but I am telling you, you should definitely play this list. This list is sweet and. Extremely fun, extremely powerful.
1: Yeah, you get to draw a bunch of cards, like, come on.
0: Yeah, you get to spend forever just winning and that's that's what <laughs> it's all about. <laughs> Isn't that what it's all about? Exactly. We'll leave it there with a little Enchantress, uh, enchantress brew for you. That's going to do it for us for this week. If you haven't checked out our Friday podcast, we talked all about Fable of the Mirror Breaker and, like, Ten or twelve different lists, including some spicy brews that you know we might be trying out in the upcoming week. And as always, if you want to get at us on Twitter, we are at FaithlessMTG. If you got any sweet ideas for any of the decks we've been working on, we'd love to hear about them. Absolutely. All right. Take care, David.
1: All right. Take care, buddy.
0: Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, FaithlessBrewing.com. And tune in next week for brand new brews plus testing results with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.